Hey friends, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Today's episode is brought to us by our good friends over at Leadership Path, and I think that's particularly apropos, as they say, uh, with the stuff we're talking about in today's episode. If you're looking to find, develop, and keep young leaders on your team, I want you to reach out to our good friends over at Leadership Pathway. These people have literally worked with hundreds and hundreds of young people. Uh, they've talked to candidates. They're, they have a proven process for uh, developing young leaders in your church. In fact, they've got a brand new ebook on the five core competencies at the heart of the leadership development process with ev- of every church that they partner with. And they're giving it to you for free. All you need to do is go to leadershippathway.org forward slash unseminary to pick that up. Listen, uh, I have a lot of sponsors on this show. Leadership Pathway is an organization that I am proud to be on the board of, to be helping uh, be, be a bit of an advisor for, and I really just think that they do a great job, particularly with developing young leaders, and I'd love for you to learn more about them. Go to leadershippathway.org forward slash unseminary to pick up this new ebook about the five core competencies that are at the heart of the leadership development process that they partner with. This is about developing young leaders. We all need next generation leaders in our church. Leadership Pathway, they are the experts at that. They have a proven process for doing that. They've done it with dozens and dozens of churches, literally developed hundreds of young leaders. You should benefit from their experience. Again, that's leadershippathway.org forward slash unseminary today. Are you looking for practical ministry help to inform and inspire your leadership? Do you have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of other leaders in pursuit of stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast, presented by CDF Capital, helping churches grow. Visit them at cdf.capital forward slash unseminary. All right, friends, super excited about today's episode, our office hours episode. This is where we take your questions directly and I get a chance to jump in and offer whatever assistant I can. Today, we've got some great questions around attracting young families. What do we do when we're looking to kind of reach a new demographic in our community? And also a hiring question, one of those consummate, how do we build a kind of team that we want? Uh, what would be some helps on that side? Again, to you, I'd love to answer your questions, particularly in this season, which I know can be a bit of a tricky season. Just drop by on seminary.com and look for the offer Office Hours tab, uh, that's where you can upload it or just reply to any of our weekly emails. If you're not subscribed to our weekly emails, you should do that. Well, let's jump in with the first question. Here we go. Hey, Rich, it's John Boyle from Calvary Bible Church in Boulder, Colorado. Hey, wanted to pick your brain on attracting more young families to our church. Calvary's been in the city of Boulder for a really long time, since 1889. Boulder's a college town. We have lots of college students, lots of young adults, grad students, post-college professionals who are working at cool tech companies or engineering firms. We have lots of families with middle schoolers and high schoolers, lots of empty nesters, lots of senior adults. But we've noticed, especially um, 
having a lot of people who have moved away from Boulder during COVID that were really missing young kind of elementary age and younger families. We have a great kids team that does an awesome job of ministering to the families that are here, but there's just less of them now and wanted to pick your brain on any ideas you might have of how to attract young families uh, to our church. Boulder's an expensive city. It's hard for young families to afford to live here, um, but we'd love to reach more of them. Love to hear your thoughts. Hope you're doing well. Thanks. All right, so this is fantastic. John Boyle, Boulder, Colorado. You know that I love churches that grow in places that they're frankly not supposed to grow. And Calvary is one of these churches. This John's a great leader. This is a fantastic church. Uh, and so this is a question that all of our churches face, right? Uh, John specifically is asking about young families at their church, but I think all of us, if we're honest, we, we kind of look at a community around us and say, you know, we're missing this demographic. We're missing some part of of what we think is in our community. And so what I want to do is give you a kind of an overview idea that we can all think through regardless of who it is that we're thinking we're missing. And then also I will give you five ideas specifically on attracting young families. But first, John, what I want you to do is to search for a tool online called the ESRI Know Your Neighborhood tool. Now, ESRI, what this is, this is an organization uh, that was founded, I don't know, back in the 70s. And uh, they provide information really on on kind of mapping information around demographics. Actually, it's even deeper than that. So it stands for Environmental Systems Research Institute. And what they do is they have divided the entire U.S. population into 67 what they call distinct neighborhood styles. And basically what they've, um, what they've done is they provided this information at an incredibly granular level for organizations like yours and like mine. And they have a free tool called Know Your Neighborhood that provides it at a fairly high level. That's probably, um, you know, big enough for or, or more detailed enough for you and I to really have a, a thoughtful conversation with our people. But what it does is instead of just looking at demographics, it it really drives one kind of layer deeper or a couple layers deeper into behavior. So it actually talks about social behavior and they've come up with these kind of 67 distinct neighborhoods that represent kind of the behavior of those neighborhoods. So I took the uh, zip code for John's church and uh, you just enter the zip code in there and it tells you uh, at a high level, a couple of different things. Now, uh, the thing I, I love about this is what they call the tapestry segment. This is the 67 uh, distinct um, neighborhoods. And in John's particular case, it came out with three different neighborhoods. And this is kind of their internal language. It said 27% are what called Emerald City, 19% are what, what they call Metro Renters, and 14% are Young and Restless. And what you can do is actually get a, a four-page report on each one of those distinct neighborhood styles, and it tells you about that community. Type. Now, interestingly, two of the three of these major groups don't mention children in them at all. Uh, they really talk about how, you know, the neighborhoods are made up of either singles or are couples living together, uh, but without kids. And that's not the case across the country. There are some communities where, um, 
you know, there are like tons of kids and based on their neighborhood style, they're, um, you know, they're into, um, you know, they have tons of kids in them. Now, the thing that's really encouraging for you, John, is actually when you listen to and read the distinct styles, the three that are here, Emerald City, uh, Metro Renters, and Young and Restless, you have a really good handle on your community. But this is what I want to do. So this is what I want to encourage you to do, John. I want you to check out the ESRI Know Your Neighborhood, and uh, you'll download, they have these PDFs, they're four pages each. And what I'd love for you to do is actually gather your leadership team together for an extended conversation, maybe a couple hours, and Pull apart each of the ESRI neighborhoods and talk about ways that your church is either winning the day with these uh, these types of folks or losing the day. What are the things that you're doing that are making it easy for people to plug into your church based on the community that you're in or is making it difficult for them to plug in? Uh, you'll find all kinds of fodder on, on discussion. It gets pretty detailed. It talks about like, you know, these people are foodies and they love to go into these kind of stores or, you know, they, uh, they do, uh, are, although they do spend a lot of time on the internet, they balance that with time at the gym. Um, so again, it gives you a sense of your community. So the, my very first step for you, my takeaway for you would be, listen, book like a couple hour conversation with your leadership team. Take a look at these uh, resources and then uh, and then have a conversation and talk about the two things. How, what are you doing that are making it easy for these people in your uh, demographic to connect with your church? And then what things are you doing that are maybe repelling people? So that would be where I would start. Now, specifically on attracting young families, listen, you know, and I know that this is such a critically important demographic. Um, people who have kids are making all kinds of lifestyle decisions that really do connect to their faith. And so it's an important demographic for us to work on, for us to uh, work through, for us to reach out to, um, and to uh, connect with. And I know that's why that's your heart, uh, John. So I've got five things I want to suggest for you. If I was sitting across the table, we talk about all five of these and, um, and then, you know, maybe figure out one of them and, and move forward. So the first is, uh, host a parenting series. So I think there's nothing like actually just speaking directly to the target that you're trying to reach out to. Uh, use the language that they use and use the kind of the biggest gun that you've got, which is your Sunday morning main service. Uh, now, I know that might not be the style of the church, but what if you what if you broke the pattern of that? You know, you'll always get the results you've always got if you've always done what you've always did. And, you know, what if this time we tried to do something different and said, hey, we're going to host like a three-part Sunday morning series that's literally just focusing on young families um, and, and really pull out all the stops to try to make it great for them. Um, Connects is a church I was at for years. Uh, that was a part of our regular pattern. For years, we would do, uh, you know, every 18 months or so, we would do a straight up parenting series, trying to really speak the language of parents and to ultimately point them back uh, to Jesus. So be explicit. You know, it's like the old marketing saying, what's the best way to sell a horse? It's maybe put a sign up that says horse for sale. And the same thing would be in this case, you know, what's the best way to attract parents? What if you did a series that was literally targeting parents uh, or parenting issues or young parents, that, that sort of thing to try to communicate specifically for them? 
Number two, uh, audit your kids' ministry. So, John, I've been to your church, and I have seen your kids' ministry up front, um, and I think you're doing a great job. I think things are great on this front, and I would agree with your assessment. I think your team's doing a great job. Uh, but what if you scratch the surface one layer deeper and tried to look very carefully at two things, both the quantitative and qualitative kind of results of your ministry. So let's look very carefully at what's happened pre-COVID and post-COVID from a numbers point of view. Where are the people that are slipping out the back door? What, where are we missing them? And then on the qualitative side, it might be time to bring in an outsider, a strategic outsider, to help you think through, uh, hey, wh- how are things actually on this front? That To actually help your team benchmark against other simil- similar ministry. Maybe there are things that your team is doing that you could be doing a better job with, uh, frankly. So audit your your ministry and, and get really um, clear on that and say, hey, this is in a, such an important area for us. Uh, we want to elevate the, the audit to the level of the highest level of the leadership team of the church. We want to get a real clear picture on exactly what's going on. All right, number three, um, what if you thought life milestones for your church. I did an interview a number of years ago uh, with Kurt from Northview Church, and um, they had, and you could search that on, on seminary, they did something that I thought was just really great. It really did help um, drive the kind of parenting connection. What they did was instead of looking at their ministry from this is what we want to teach to kids, they they asked the reverse question. They said, what are the the kind of stages, the milestones that families go through, and how can we identify maybe half a dozen of those milestones that we can inject service from the church into them? And so, one of the things that they did, which I thought was really cool, was in grade five, I believe, they did what they called the Bible Presentation Sunday, where uh, where parents bought a Bible on behalf of, uh, you know, for the, the kid, and if the, they couldn't afford it, then the church had one. Uh, and they built, like, basically a whole kind of ceremony and a milestone of event around that kid getting their first kind of big person Bible. And I just love that. And what they did was they had a number of those kind of key markers. So obviously there's some obvious ones going into high school, going into junior high, but they did like a, a dad and daughter date night in uh, junior high uh, or a mom and son date night in junior high, obviously baptism faith questions, you know, when someone becomes a Jesus follower. So, and they built really at each one of those milestones, they built a special event around that uh, to really reinforce that and ultimately to really help parents to win with their kids. So, it wasn't about us as a church winning, it was about the kids, uh, the parents winning with their, their kids. All right, number four, what if you did a focus group with five families and ask this question, how can we make it easier for you and your friends to connect with our ministry. Listen, uh, this may be an unseemly thing to think, but it's just true. Uh, our culture is built on convenience, and we have to think very carefully about how do we make things more convenient. And particularly young families, gosh, this is such a a tough time in life. Uh, it's hard. And so it, it, you, what if we drilled in with five families or 10 families around what we could do to make accessing our ministry even 
easier. I know in this season, uh, you know, obviously the the vaccine rollout is happening. It's it's. I'm not sure where it is in your neighborhood. Uh, that's been a part of why I think we've seen a hit that in a number of communities, frankly, we just are not seeing the return to kids ministry yet because of some of that vaccination stuff. But 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 really getting a clear picture on and asking people what could we actually do to make it easier for you to connect is a good question. And then the second question that you could drill in with them because you maybe don't want to spend a whole hour on one question, uh, but you do want to you want to drive for that. You want to push hard to figure out what that is. Uh, the second uh, question that you could really develop with them is uh, how can we help you more? Or an even better question is how can we help you now? So if you got five families with young kids and say, hey, what can we do now to serve you? You, uh, you know, I think you might hear some interesting things over time. So that's number four focus groups, uh, and and then number five. I wonder if you uh, really found ways to care about what your target is caring about. Um, so, and this is really about getting out of the, the walls of the church uh, and trying to figure out what are those things that the families who have young kids, what is it that they're concerned about and how do you simply get in the orbit of those things? You know, what does that look like to being involved in a school outreach? How how could you adopt a school around the corner? Not because you're trying to get Bibles uh, in and for grade five, uh, but because you're trying to serve and love and care for that school. What what could we do to go to young families? And this is, again, going to look different in every community. Maybe it's just showing up to parks on, you know, the, the Tuesday afternoon all summer long with your interns and handing out bottles of water to moms with strollers and saying, hey, we just, we're, our church loves young families and we just want you to know about it. It's a bit of the old school kind of church planting mindset of you got to get to where your people are. So five ideas for attracting young families. John, love you, love your church. Thanks so much for the question. Uh, appreciate everything you're doing. Take care, man. This is Audrey Eisenberg. I serve as the executive pastor at Inland Hills Church in Southern California. We're a little bit outside of Los Angeles, but with awesome access to beaches and mountains and even Disneyland, not too far away. Um, we are currently trying to expand our team. We're really excited about a season of growth that we think God has for us coming up. And so we're looking to add an executive pastor of family life to oversee our students and children ministries. Um, we also are looking for a children's pastor, a communication director and a tech director right now. So we've got a lot of open slots to fill. And to be honest, our, our biggest challenge over these last few months has been really recruiting top quality candidates for these positions. And we are super interested in folks who may have some great ministry experience. We've also been really eager to explore conversations with people who have a non-ministry background that might really just be looking to transition into ministry. And um, our whole goal as a church is to be the kind of place where we can reach unchurched and dechurched people and just help them experience the transformation that following after Jesus can mean in our lives. So we're really excited about that. We would love to have some excited, high quality folks ready to join our team. And we would really love to hear from you. Any suggestions you might have about how can we get the word out about these opportunities? How can we position these opportunities in such a way um, that they feel you know exciting and meaningful to the kinds of people who we would love to have join our team? I'm sure we're not alone. Uh, so if you've got any words,
words of wisdom. They would probably be helpful for a lot of us that are trying to recruit and fill some key positions right now. So look forward to hearing from you on this, Rich. Thanks so much for the opportunity to share the question. All right. This is a fantastic question from Audrey. I just think the world of Audrey and Inland Hills, Josh, the lead pastor there, uh, they're just, these are just great, great people. And so I just love this. You know, she knows how to tug my heartstrings. The fact that right off the top, she talks about the fact how they're just a stone's throw away from Disneyland. Love this question. You know, there is no doubt that all of us are having hiring issues. We're looking to add to our teams and uh, you know, you might be listening in today and that's where you're at. And I would love to kind of share a few things to kind of think about as we think about finding top talent. The part that I really resonated with Audrey's question was this. They're looking for top ministry talent, people to actually lead those areas. And, you know, that's difficult to do. We hear this time and again. It's hard to find great people. It's hard to get them plugged in. And they've got four different areas. So a couple things that come to mind. First of all, the the Jolts report. Have you heard about the Jolts report? So this is the the job openings, layoffs, turnovers summary, and this is every month uh, the government comes out with this report. And um, most recently, I saw a stat that is kind of takes your breath away. You've heard about the Great Resignation. If it feels like to you that lots of people are resigning, that's actually true. And the statistic actually is now for six months the the kind of previous six months to the most recent jolts report that the people who have left the people who have that they have willingly quit uh, their role has been higher than pre pandemic levels. So there really is something going on. It's it is difficult to find people we are in a repositioning time, which can make it difficult for us when we're looking for great people. uh, Because it you know, there's just a lot of, you know, kind of movement happening. Uh, out there. Now, when I think about hiring and I think about how do we find the right people, how do we find those people to plug in and make a difference? Uh, oftentimes, I really think about the difference between internal and external candidates. You know, there was a while there in the local church that it was like, it was kind of fashionable to say, oh, we only hire internally because uh, that's like the cool thing to do. And um, and I think it's great to hire internally. In fact, I think that actually lots of churches should hire internally. Uh, but it was almost like it was condescending. It was like, we will never hire externally. We'll never hire someone from outside of the church. And, and I think that's a dangerous precedent to set. And I'll tell you the reason why is this. I really think that we need to look at internal and external hires from two different perspectives. Really, it comes down to what are you trying to accomplish in your ministry? You hire somebody internally for an area when you are wanting that area to kind of keep going, continue to chuggle on, take the good things that are happening there and double down on them, incrementally improve, uh, take what's happening that's working and keep making it happen. However, you hire externally when there's an area in your church that's maybe broken and you know you want to do a better job of it. You want to uh, find a way to you know uh, you know and accelerate that to to make it better to to break it and uh, and fix it going forward. Um, so that's the way I think about really the difference between internal and external. Now, when we're thinking about hiring, and so if I was sitting across the table from Audrey, I would I would talk about the areas. Let's talk about these four roles. Let's talk about 
um, what you know you're trying to accomplish in those areas. Let's talk about uh, what you're hoping you know can happen in those uh, you know in those areas. What do we need to take place? And and that would lead us to should we be hiring internally or externally? Uh, and so now, but but I've got some advice on either way. So if you're thinking about internal, if you're saying, hey, I, we really do think that these roles we should be hiring inside. Uh, the, what I always think about internal hiring, what we need to do is create some fishing ponds. Now, uh, these are places where leaders really will attract leaders that you can you get to know them long-term and potentially hire out of those areas. Um, oftentimes, the people you want, they're not going to just raise their hand. You know, you're going to have to go after them. You're going to have to find them, kind of cultivate relationship with them. There's a little bit of you got to dig your well before you're thirsty. You need to be working on this before we get to that. And so the two fishing ponds that I think could be great, one is a natural one and the other one you're going to have to make. Uh, the natural one is actually within your donor pool. So Audrey, you're a senior leader within the church. I would actually challenge you to look at Look at the top 50 donors in your church and, and, and say, Hey, are there any of these people who are, uh, who might be interested in joining our team? And why do I say donors? Not because they're necessarily people with money, but because they usually people who are giving to your church at a high enough level that they show up in that for top 15 list. They are people that are bought into your mission. And, and frankly, they've organized their life, uh, sufficiently so that they can, they're able to give at a generous level, which tells you something about their financial, uh, acumen and maybe Maybe their ability to make that sort of jump. So the first pool I would say uh, is to run a report, top 50 donors, and look through all those people and say, are there any of those people that I would want to go after? And literally, I would sit down with them and and recruit them and actually say, Hey, I, I, it's the joke I always make is like, God loves you and we've got a wonderful plan for your life. Now, if it's like really you, you hit on somebody who you really, really, really want them to come, you need to go all in on that. At one point, I was, uh, there was a person I was trying to hire and they knew it and, you know, we had talked about it and we've joked about it. I showed up to a breakfast meeting with that person. I had had their business cards printed already for our organization. I had their job title and their business card, put their own cell phone number. And I started the the breakfast conversation by putting those business cards on the table in front of me. You can't do too much. It was obviously nine bucks or whatever for that. Now, ultimately, they said no. Uh, but the reason why I love that is they're the kind of person, if they called me today and they're like, hey, I'd love to join the team, I'd say, yes, absolutely. We'll slot you in. So, they, uh, you know, I love that they took those home and put them in their desk drawer. And on a day when they're thinking, oh, maybe I don't want to do my thing anymore. I know because this individual, they tell me that. They're like, you know, I still have those cards. I'm like, well, you can cash them in. Uh, at any time. So that's one, your donor pool. The other one would be key leaders. Uh, and what you want to do is uh, maybe you and Josh uh, put together a list of 50 or 60 leaders, maybe not that many, if it's just two of you, maybe it's 20 or 30 leaders, and uh, and host uh, a book club rolling forward and say, hey, we're going to do, we're going to get together with a group of people over the next three months. We're going to read this book uh, and then we're going to get together and talk about it. Now, this is one of those you got to dig your well before you're thirsty. And the reason why you're doing this is you want to develop leaders and you're getting in the orbit of leaders. Uh, but ultimately, these are also the kind of people who you might want to hire long-term. And just getting relationally connected to them through something like a book club uh, could help you over an extended period of time. Now, that may not solve your problem right now with these four people, uh, but it could get you in the relationships of the kind of folks internally. So so that would be what, if you're thinking internal, Audrey, that, that would be what I would be thinking. That would be some kind of initial ideas that I would think. Now, what about externally? If you're thinking about how, how do I network out side of my church to find people externally. 
Here's an activity for you, Audrey. What I would do is I want you to think of a list of 10. If you're really desperate, I would think 20, but 10, you should be able to do 10 pretty easily. Open up a spreadsheet and uh, you're going to have three columns. And in the first column, I want you to write down the names of 10 people who have two things. One, uh, they have some sort of network. So they have an existing network of people. And uh, the second is that they, uh, they're the kind of people who, if you were to call them up, they would be willing to think about who uh you know in their network might be interested in uh in joining your team and what you do is you write down all their names in that 10 or maybe 20 people and then in the next two columns the first column i want you to rate their influence on a scale of one to ten. One being this person has massive influence they're the kind of person that has a huge social network i'm not talking about like a huge social network online but uh it could be that but it also just like they have you know lots of people follow them they're like a big dog leader. So that would be a one. 10 would be they're not that influential. Uh, Then what I want you to do is in the second column, I want you to rate your likelihood um, or, or if you were to ask them the likeliness that they would say yes to getting your jobs out to their network, whether that's through talking about it, whether that's through um, maybe doing an email to friends, maybe that would be through, uh, you know, d- doing, you know, blogging about it or talking about it on their Facebook or, you know, something like that. What, how likely if you were to ask them, would they say yes? Then I want you to do two sor- sorts. First, you're going to sort uh, the, uh, the names one to 10 uh, in the influence bucket. So number one being at the top, number 10 being at the bottom. So you'll have a list of names or you have the most influential person at the top of the, the list. Then sort by the second column, the chance that they will uh, will uh, actually talk about your role again, one to 10, one for sure. If you call them today, they would say yes. 10, you're like, I'm not really sure. I think they might laugh at me or I'm not sure I could get a phone call with them. Sort it by that list. And then what you'll see is at the top of the list, you'll have someone that has the most influence in your network and also would be likely to actually talk about your your role to their network. And then I would start with the top of that list and work your way down and just start calling each of those people, engaging with them and saying, hey, we've got these four roles. I'm wondering if you could help us get the word out about these uh, roles. If you're, if you're thinking externally, uh, that would be a great thing to do. You've got a network. Josh has got a network. Maybe you do it together. Take half an hour um, and then divvy up the role beyond that. And, and actually, that brings me to it. Listen, friends, if you uh, are thinking about a role in any of these four areas, Inland Hills is a great church. I would love for you to reach out to them. They're just inlandhillschurch.com. Uh, Audrey's one of those leaders I'd work for because she's fantastic. So uh, if you are looking for a church or you know someone who's in one of these areas, actually, if you could take a minute and think about who are the people you know in your in your network that might know someone, uh, Inland Hills would be a great church. Again, that's inlandhillschurch.com. All right, a bonus idea for you, Audrey, uh, as well. Now, you didn't say this, but I hear this all the time. I hear people across the country talk about how their part of the country is like the hardest part of the country to get people to come to, that no one wants to come to their part of the country. Now, people maybe don't say that about California, uh, but people say that all across uh, the country. They're always like, people just won't move to our part, whether it's the Midwest or whether we said that definitely in New Jersey. I've heard people say that in the South. I've heard that people say it in California before. Uh, years ago, I was talking to one of those companies that does hiring for a living. That is one of those search firms. And um, I was asking the principal of that organization, I, I, you know, I was like, what's the thing you've learned? What's kind of the thing that you won't publish publicly uh, that you've learned about particularly attracting people from a long distance away? How, how do we get people who aren't here locally? I, we were wondering 
wondering about this because of uh, in New Jersey. And that person said, you know, the interesting thing is if you watch the trajectory of people's lives, if you watch kind of what do they do in their life, they generally move away from home, but then they always do move back closer to where they grew up from. And so what you want to do is be very careful to catch people moving back closer to home. It's okay if people have lived away, but you want to catch people on the return route back to their home. And I thought, oh, that is a good piece of advice because I've seen that in my own life. I've seen that with people uh, as we're hiring. So think about that particularly if you're trying to attract people in this case to Southern California, even though it's close to Disneyland, which I would love to live close to Disneyland. I would definitely be a season's pass holder. Audrey, cheering for you. Thanks so much. Uh, Thanks for all you're doing. Love you and Josh. Say hi to him. And I hope you guys have a great uh, season. Uh, Thanks for being, uh, for, you know, dropping a question in on this thing. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Unseminary Podcast. Drop by unseminary.com for more helpful resources for you and your team. There you will find articles, online courses, and so much more. Unseminary, stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Presented by CDF Capital. Visit them at cdf.capital forward slash unseminary.